electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. It's Jim Cramer here. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Don't miss a minute of the action. Good Wednesday morning and welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Morgan Brennan with Scott Wapner and Mike Santoli live from Post 9 here at the New York Stock Exchange. Carl, Jim and David have the morning off. We're just going to take a look at futures with 30 minutes until the opening bell. And you see some green on your screen, although we're fading this pre-market rally here. The S&P is poised to open up about three and a half points. The Dow up 36 and the Nasdaq uh, hanging on to gains here pre-market, poised to open up four points uh, after that 1.4% sell-off. The sell-off continues in the Nasdaq. Uh, We're going to start with our roadmap, though. Tesla trying to rally following yesterday's steep declines. The stock on pace for its worst month, quarter, and year ever. Plus, more troubles for Southwest Airlines already canceling more than 2,000 flights today. The company CEO apologizing to his customers. And AMC CEO Adam Aaron asking his board of directors to freeze his salary in 2023 amid the company's sliding stock price. But we begin with Tesla, which did drag... Both the Nasdaq and the S&P lower yesterday. I got another price cut this morning, this time from Baird. The firm reiterating its outperform rating on Tesla, but lowering its price target to 252 per share from 316. It's the second price cut in under a week. That's after Webbush slashed its price target on Tesla by 30% from 250 to 175. Before the Christmas break, you can see right there, shares of Tesla are trading at about 111 bucks, up about 2% pre-market. But of course, Scott, we were talking about this yesterday. It has just been a rough year and particularly a rough couple of weeks. It's kind of like a rough, Tesla. a rough everything, right? Yes. It's been down seven days in a row. Never been down eight in a row. It's been down 10 of 11 days and it's down 43% in December alone. And look, Dan Ives was on yesterday and he's one of many who still have an outperform rating on this stock. And even he's questioning the level to which this thing is just broken. Well, the analysts are chasing it down in the form of cutting price targets, as you mentioned, Morgan. Mm -hmm. Right. So they're not really saying something has radically changed about the business. But the problem is on the way up, nothing had radically changed when the stock was up 2000 percent from November of 2019 to November of 2021. So it's just everything that was working in the stock's favor on the upside is running in reverse right now. Now, which starts with, yes, EVs got to scale. Tesla got there first. You have this you know, demand that was pent up and being quenched during the pandemic. That's kind of the premise. Earnings estimates for 2023 for Tesla coming down a little bit. They're down like 8% in the last few months. But it's still going to show supposedly huge earnings growth. It's not a fundamental story. It's the momentum working the other way. People thought Musk was seeing around corners. That's kind of been compromised. The options flow from retail investors had been this accelerant to the stock on the upside. Mm-hmm. That's pulling back as well. So I think it's, it's sort of a, an exaggerated example of what's gone on with mega cap growth in general on the upside and the downside. Yeah, it's such a key point because you've still got Tesla trading at, what, 19 times forward earnings? Well, just compare it to some of the other automakers, if you want to yes. consider an automaker, because I know that debate's out there, especially in the analyst community and among uh, investors, whether this is a car manuf- you know, a right. car stock or whether it's a tech stock. Um, but Porsche, 17 times. Mercedes-Benz, five times earnings. Ford, six times earnings. Right. You could just go on down the list. You can make that argument, Mike, that this is still a name that 
looks like it could have further to fall just based on valuation. And not to mention the macro issues, right? I mean, it, it, they sell expensive discretionary items, whatever you think about it. And even if you don't want to compare it to the car companies, I mean, it's 19 times earnings is a premium to the market. Um, we think, I mean, who knows if there's downside to earnings estimates based on what's happening in China. So it's a really fascinating issue in the sense that um, it seems like it's gotten crushed, and it has, but on a three-year basis, it's up 280%, mm -hmm. right? So that just really is everything you can talk about in terms of uh, the, the tail of the tape on this one is more just telling you how wild it got on the upside. Do we do we really believe, though, that, you know, especially among the analyst community, that the valuation premium that it's always gotten is suddenly going to be re-rated permanently? Or once you get past this spell yeah. that the stock has been in, you're going to have the, 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 the fan the fan people uh, suggesting that, oh, it deserves this, this premium because it's, to Morgan's point, because yeah. it's not a car company. Right. No, you have people say, well, Apple trades it 20 times. Why it's can't a tech it trade company. It's, it's, yeah. it's this. It's that. Right. It, it, you come up with every reason why it's not just a car company to justify a wild valuation. It, oh, they I say, know. well, it's got $5 in earnings power. And as Morgan said, well, right now, you know, okay, so it's 19, 20 times. It gets you to 109. Right. It, what's interesting is now you can actually have that conversation, whereas when the stock was at $1.2 trillion market mm -hmm. value, that wasn't even part of the conversation. It was just like you literally had to invent other markets that they were going to penetrate and dominate to, to have you know, any fundamental basis for where it was trading. Now it's, all right, you know, what's, what's baked into the price? Are they going to achieve 2023 numbers? It's like 12 times enterprise value to cash flow. Okay, that's not cheap. Google's at nine or something like that. Or, you know, so you know, that's, but you're so, talking about uh, at least in the same zone as the other mega growth stock. I feel like yeah. what you're talking about, when you were saying that, when Mike was saying that, I'm thinking like Peloton, when they were saying, well, it's, right. a, it's a fitness company, it's a media company, it's a t-shirt company, it's a, it's a retailer, yeah. you it's can make milkshakes, you can do everything yeah. on this machine to justify mm -hmm. what was an incredibly high valuation. Now it comes back to earth and you're like, yeah, it's a fitness company. They make bikes, well, treadmills. Well, it all speaks to like the broader trend we've been talking about all year in the market, which is the fact that you had and can argue about bubble or not, but a bubble essentially that's been inflated, or at least lofty valuations that have been inflated by low interest rates for a very long period of time. The chase for yields, the quest for yields by investors into growthy names. Tesla has been one of the penultimate growthy names. Even if it misses its estimates this year and comes in lower uh, amid this weaker macro backdrop, right. amid higher interest rates, and what we know that's already starting to do to the auto market, which by the way, not so different than the housing market, right? Um, it's still going to grow something like 50, almost 50 percent in terms of production this year. Right. Exactly. And so, you know, again, it, 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 everything is about where you're starting the measurement from. If you're starting the measurement from three years ago, the market Deliveries, fully. Yes. The market fully captures what it's been accomplished. It's going to go from 83 billion in revenue this year to 117 billion in revenue next year, just on that basis alone. It's become a very big company. Now it's also got a $350 billion market cap. It's bigger than Meta uh, at this point still, even after crashing the way it has. It makes me think of how fragile the NASDAQ still looks, you know, mm -hmm. when even yesterday you get this pop on the China news and it all but, you know, uh, deteriorates by the open and then you close, you know, significantly lower. Yeah. Here you go again. If you look at the futures now, it's the NASDAQ that's pulling up the rear yet again. We had a conversation with, I think it was Jonathan Krinsky yesterday, the technician over at BTIG. He threw out a number of 9,800 on the NASDAQ. I mean, you start to get to some kind that of much dark lower levels, than where we are, you know? But yeah. Huh. 
No, it's exactly right. The risk still seems in the very largest stocks in the sense that that's where the valuation remains. So very broad the terms. Apples, the, those, I was just the, looking, the I was just looking at this. The NASDAQ 100 peaked a year ago 30 times forward earnings. Right now, 20 times forward earnings. It's at the exact same premium to the S&P because the S&P has also gotten less expensive. So it's a 20% premium to the S&P. You know, again, Apple also went from 30 to 20. Is 20 high or low for Apple? Well, on a 10-year basis, it's actually kind of high. Uh, on a pandemic-era basis, it's looking more reasonable. Um, and, and it does seem as if that now you have the tax law selling, you have all the mechanical stuff going on right now that's really pounding the stuff that's down the most. Oh, and by the way, you now have these revisions. Treasury just put it out yesterday around tax laws and what that's going to do share buybacks, which we know have been something that have perhaps, at least in recent months, buoyed the market more than otherwise we would have seen. I think Goldman right. Sachs had a trillion dollars in record, record yeah. trillion dollars in share buybacks by companies this oh, year. And I don't think anybody buys back more than by size than Apple. In absolute dollars, that's yeah, right. Yeah, in absolute yeah. dollar amount. So it's an interesting point. Uh, let's turn our attention now, the latest around Southwest Airlines, under pressure yet again today. According to FlightAware, Southwest has already canceled more than 2,000 flights this morning. Southwest CEO Bob Jordan releasing a video last night apologizing for the situation. I want everyone who is dealing with the problems we've been facing, whether you haven't been able to get to where you need to go, or you're one of our heroic employees caught up in a massive effort to stabilize the airline, uh, to know is that we're doing everything we can to return to a normal operation. And please also hear that I'm truly sorry. I mean, the situation, Morgan, is just a complete Oof. mess. Transportation Secretary Buttigieg today said he wants to hold this airline accountable. That was the word that he used. How exactly you do that, I'm not exactly certain. I mentioned yesterday uh, a CNBC producer Mm -hmm. was one of those stranded. I was literally just told they're not going to be back until January 1st. They cannot get back until January 1st. So you can't imagine. I mean, you've seen the I heard you comment earlier on the, the video the that we've seen of the bags on tarmacs, on tarmacs all Texas over the airports, people, yeah. you know, stranded all over the place. And what what that accountability level? I wonder what that what that is. Well, it seems like the next step for, and who knows, I mean, you know, for Southwest is going to be, I don't know about the accountability part of it. This feels like low-hanging fruit and maybe a little more optics than reality in terms of regulatory, you know, blowback from the DOT, but who knows? I don't know. Um, but it does seem like what you're now going to have happen at Southwest is what happened at, like, United last year, right, where you're going to see maybe a big push in terms of tech investment to try and overhaul their system so something like this doesn't happen again. It's, and it's Southwest, which has always been considered one of the better operators. Mm -hmm. If you were talking about more quality and you know, clearly weather stuff hitting regions of the country maybe doesn't often, that's, that's a factor here. But to me, it tells you the fragility of the whole industry, right? It's like the labor, the tight labor situation. There's no redundancy. You know, it's, it's kind of like, you know, one little bit uh, gets thrown off. Uh, and there's a cascade uh, over the course of a few days. And so if, if Southwest can't sidestep it, I guess, is the idea, uh, then it just seems like it's much more about the brittle nature of, of, of the industry. Right? Which yeah. is why, you, why, why people say, you know, these, are, these stocks become so difficult to invest in. Even they have their moments in time. And certainly there's a period of time in which they did go up. Sure. But you'll have some say they're horrible long-term investments. I mean, I'm just saying just for December alone. JetBlue's down 20%. United's down 14%. Some of the other travel names, Hilton's down 12 Avis down 30 Expedia down 19 Norwegian down 24 To your point, just a little yeah. chaos thrown into the system throws the whole thing 
Well, and they're lack. also suffering from this idea that we're getting a lot of travel out of the way that was kind of pent up uh, this year. And, you know, just a little bit of, a, of tighter budgets next year. Yeah, tight capacity and also coming off of several years of what's been really just difficult travel. Yeah. If you did have to travel during the pandemic uh, and with the, many of these companies that are loaded with debt and now trying to recover and, you know, go on down the list and what that looks like going into next year with a softening macro backdrop. But, Scott, I just I also think your point, the, the ripple effects to hotel operators to the online travel companies, uh, which I think we're going to be digging into more as this week unfolds as well with one of those CEOs. Um, you know, brittle. Brittle is a good word. The, C- the CEO of Southwest is saying they need to upgrade their, quote, legacy systems. It's to, to Mike's point, you know, I still remember, you know, having these conversations during the pandemic and the, the bailout. It's like, you know, you run into trouble, you get bailed out, and then you still have these legacy issues yeah. that, that never seem to get solved, no sure. matter who comes to the rescue and when. Right. Well, and the reason that they've been tough long-term investments is massive fixed costs. When, th- when times get good and they're able to impose all kinds of fees and get pricing, you know, the, the incentives are to harvest those profits at those times and not necessarily, you know, try to run with, with these redundancies. I mean, now we're knowing nothing really about specifically what... Uh, got glitchy in the systems that really caused this massive, you know, collapse. But, um, yeah, I mean, it it is endemic to the industry that you're going to have these episodes. Bob Jordan, you're invited to come on the show and talk to us as you get more information to share. Okay, well, after the break, it's been a tough year for big tech stocks like Alphabet, Amazon, and Meta, but is more pain still ahead? We're going to dig into that even further through this hour. But in the meantime, take a look at futures. We are poised to open up modestly on this Wednesday morning. Got more Squawk in the Street straight ahead. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, The ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to fight rising costs of inflation or pay off your debt or anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, can help. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been helping great investors like you. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking for tips, Yahoo Finance makes it super easy by putting all the tools and data you need in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and more. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. That's how Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you take a look at your wealth in its entirety. That big picture perspective? 
is what great investors need. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. Welcome back to Squawk on the Street. Tech stocks have had a rough 2022, but can the sector turn it around in the new year? Well, joining us now, Rohit Kulkarni from MKM Partners. Rohit, can big cap tech turn it around next year? It's going to be tough uh, first few months. Uh, and thanks, Morgan, for having me. Uh, in the first, probably first half of 23, there are going to be sideways to uh, stay under pressure. Um, we think there are more uh, uh, downward revisions to estimates to come. I think uh, as we see in the first half, uh, if estimates are going to come down, interest rates go up, uh, valuation of high growth tech stocks are going to be under pressure. Um, if you have a point of view beyond, say, Memorial Day next year, um, then uh, I think uh, companies like Amazon and Uber have, uh, have are extremely compelling in my opinion. Um, uh, Amazon is trading below its uh, kind of COVID lows. Um, Amazon is the only company that has had clear upward revision to estimates over the last couple of years. So I think uh, that's the one we like if you think you have the visibility beyond first half of 23. But uh, short answer to your question, yeah, it's going to be um, times under pressure over the next, call it three to six months at least. Let's talk about another name you have a buy rating on, and that's Meta. It's down 65% this year. Why, why are you sticking with that call? Um, I think uh, the, the growth versus profitability conundrum that uh, Meta has had, while Apple and TikTok have been weighing on Meta over the last 12 to 18 months, I think uh, if, you, if you just dissect those two debates, I feel the first uh, debate about uh, focusing on profitability versus growth, um, that debate is going to uh, kind of tilt into Meta's favor as the first half of next year progresses. They, we feel they are getting the right uh, kind of message from investors that uh, cut costs, uh, focus on near-term uh, profitability while revenues remain under pressure. So I think they are taking the right steps so the first half of next year is going to be focused on higher margins and better cash flows. That should help with uh, the stock's valuation in the near term. And as we progress in the next uh, kind of six to 12 months, I feel both big, big external factors, Apple and TikTok, we, we would see evidence of that uh, kind of um, uh, uh, ebbing on uh, the fundamentals, ebbing on the revenue constraints that the company has had. And then net-net, I feel uh, kind of this is a bet on uh, Mark Zuckerberg over the longer term. He's, a, he's the youngest uh, uh, big billionaire CEO. He has a lot of runway ahead. And I feel um, kind of as we get into the medium term, beyond the 12 months, um, cyclical tailwinds and execution should start flowing through. So I'm not saying that uh, there is this is the urgency to buy it right now. But as the year progresses, we see this unfold. Profitability first. Apple, TikTok start to ebb in the second half, and then execution uh, follows. So we like it. Uh, Amazon is the more compelling uh, idea here, but Meta is something that is is a company that we would be uh, behind as the year progresses. Rohit, how, how much do you think tech valuations were buoyed by zero interest rates? And then now that they're not zero, and they're not going mm-hmm. to be zero, and they may never be zero again, or at least for the foreseeable future, and they're significantly higher than that. How much do you think valuations still need to reset to catch up to what is a new environment? 
Again, uh, a rule of thumb that we have had here uh, is uh, every 100 basis points of uh, higher uh, cost of capital is kind of uh, uh, 10 to 12 percent in uh, reduction in valuation. That's simple math, that's simple Excel uh, kind of uh, geeky stuff that you would want to do. So if uh, you have a point of view that um, we are about down 40 percent for 400 basis points, then um, then that, that feels to be in ballpark as far as where the tech valuations have converged with the new era of the cost of capital. If uh, uh, interest rates are bound to increase, which we think, our macro uh, uh, economist feels that there could be more interest rate hikes coming down the uh, pike over the next, call it three months or so, that means there is another five to 15% of uh, tech stock valuation correction. On top of that, we think estimates need to come down. So there's, there's, that's one of the reasons why, while we like mega caps through the recession, through the valuation correction, there are these factors about interest rates um, affecting valuations and the multiples plus secular headwinds um sorry i meant to say cyclical headwinds affecting estimates yeah. so there is there is there is uh, more pain to have in my opinion where does it leave you with uh, a stock like alphabet which now for the first time essentially ever in its history as a public company trades at a market multiple people now all of a sudden wondering about the long-term competitive advantage with some ai mm -hmm. applications uh, and things like that um in our uh, mega cap pecking order of the buy list at current levels, um, um, I, would, I would rank order Alphabet as uh, number three behind Amazon and Meta. Uh, the reason why we feel that is, A, again, um, stock has done well. It's above its uh, COVID lows very clearly, and it has gained market share during kind of 21 and 22 uh, away from Facebook. Um, and largely that's because of all the Apple changes. We see uh, margin pressure and market share erosion over the next 12 to 24 months. So I think we are at a at a peak multiple um, for Google, at least for the near term. And that, that makes okay. me wonder that, yeah, uh, there should be some sideways movement, more so for Google than the other two. Okay, Rohit Kolkarni, thanks for joining us. Thank you. All right, let's take a look at futures one more time as we inch towards the open uh, this morning. We're trying to hold on to gains here, and uh, we are. Dow would open higher by about 44, S&P 4 points, NASDAQ by near 7. More squawk on the street when we return. Every day, thousands of Comcast engineers and technologists put people at the heart of everything they create, like Olu Sheyi, a Comcast engineer who grew up bonding with his dad over sports. This inspired him and his team to create AI Highlights technology that uses AI and machine learning to detect the major plays in a sporting event. So millions of fans have a way of catching up on their favorite sports. Learn more at ComcastCorporation.com. Well, the opening bell is just five minutes away. Here are the gainers this morning pre-market on the S&P, which is poised to open higher. We've got Progressive up 3.5%. By the way, other insurers, PNC insurers, are trading higher this morning. Generac Holdings up 3% uh, after it was initiated by Jenny Montgomery Scott. Tesla up 1.5% after a rough seven days. And other names rounding out the top five are Dollar Tree and Interpublic. We're back after this. Welcome back to Squawk on the Street. We're watching Apple this morning with less than two minutes till the opening bell. It's under pressure again pre-market. Uh, it's touching its lowest level since June of 2021. That was with the close yesterday. Uh, and it's dipping below right now ahead of the opening bell in pre-market. That 130 level, Mike, which certainly strategists have been watching closely. Matt Maley at Miller-Tabak 
uh, pointing that out as sort of a key support level because it's where the lows from June come in and it's the low for 2022. We go down from here, it's bearish for the stock, potentially bearish for a broader market. Yes, and Apple for much of the year was essentially standing completely apart from the rest of tech, the rest of the NASDAQ. It did get this stability premium. The issue is, in addition to it seeming like it's trading very heavy and it's got, you know, losing that sort of uh, technical uh, support is uh, it got expensive. It's down to 20 times earnings and there's no growth. Fiscal, current fiscal year ends next September. It's basically supposed to be a flattish year revenue and earnings wise. That's before any downward revisions come based on uh, whether it's going to be some flagging iPhone demand. Yes, restarting growth in the following year. It's very stable, financially bulletproof. All the things we know about Apple in terms of shareholder, you know, return of capital and all, all that is intact. The question is what you pay for it. And, you know, right now, as I said, all these stocks are coming into question for why are we paying a premium when the growth estimates are coming down. There was a time in the pandemic when they had growth, nobody else did. Not the case. of the Nasdaq 100 as well. We got the Nasdaq turning lower here in these final seconds before the opening bell as well. And there they are, the opening bells and the CNBC real-time exchange, which you can see right there on your screen. So here at the big board, uh, executives and guests of Syracuse University, the University of Minnesota, and the New York Yankees in celebration of the Bad Boy Mowers Pinstripe Bowl. At the NASDAQ, you've got New York Cares, the largest volunteer network in New York City, ringing the bell there. Uh, and right now, out of the gate, Scott, it looks like it's a little bit of a mixed picture because the NASDAQ is slightly lower. The S&P is just north of the flat line as well. And the Dow continues to be the outperformer here. I'm sure you, you can guess what stock I'm going to mention first. Uh, <laughs> would be Tesla because it is up today again. We said it's down seven straight days. And it's been down 10 of 11. But you're getting a little bit of uh, some bottom feeding here. Although as I'm watching it, it's, it's just teetering around, Mike, uh, yeah. the flat line. It's going to be so closely watched. It just dipped negative, of course, as I was saying all that. Uh, down 43% in December alone. The real question at this point, too, is who's selling? Who are the sellers? Yeah. Are, are the institutions and the, the bigger believers in this story now the ones who are starting to capitulate a little bit? I think that, it, well, it's, first of all, you name it, who's selling? I mean, yeah, the, the, the CEO was selling a lot of it. Um, the CEO who says ESG is a crock, basically. Guess who owned a lot of Tesla stock? ESG funds, right, on the way up. So I don't know if it's anybody in particular. I still think retail is the key swing factor on a day-to-day -day basis. Or I don't think we talk enough about that either. Super-powered retail, meaning like, you know, heavy uh, kind of short-term traders, people who are in the options. And there is just this kind of unwind of a lot of these names that, um, that really did dominate on the way up. So you have all this market cap in there from people First, people who sell it are the ones who were buying it just because it was going up, because it stopped going up. And then the that kind of works players. in reverse. Um, and, and, you know, as we said, if you want to buy it on a fundamental basis, is this the moment when you have widespread anticipation of consumer struggle and all the rest of it? Even just because it's 
again, they, they sell expensive stuff, and we're kind of downgrading our expectations for uh, what discretionary is going to do next year. All those things are in the mix. Um, you know, I, in terms of what levels matter, I think you really want to be very careful shorting it here just based on how far it's down, based on the dynamics of January, which is laggards often spring back because you do have the selling dry up at the end of the year. And, you know, based on the fact that it's just become a very sort of unpredictable spring-loaded situation just on the intensity and the angle of descent here. Um, but all that being said, uh, it, it, it trades like a video game. I mean, it trades that many shares a day. And so I, I think handicapping what it's doing on a short-term basis is yeah. futile. It's, and it's far and away the, the largest stock uh, in terms of activity within the options market as well. But the retail piece of this, and I, I know we talk about yeah. retail investors every day on our network, but the retail piece of this, it kind of goes back to, you just mentioned Jonathan Krinsky from BTIG. He had that note out, I think this was yesterday, where he was talking about uh, there needs to be more capitulation and that despite bearish sentiment, it's not necessarily showing up on the retail side in terms of buying and selling, uh, you know, what that what that activity looks like as well, more broadly across the market. Um, but Tesla, probably one of those, I'm going to make the pun, yeah. get under the hood, yeah. take a look yeah. on the retail side and what that means. And look, I think it's just also a principle of when you have these extreme market peaks and you're on the other side of it and it's being dismantled, the stocks that led and were most intense on the way up are the ones where you have a little bit of stubbornness about people giving up on them. Um, I think, I think uh, Apple, to be Apple, honest, has a lot more that. of that focus yep. at the moment. Now, um, there's no correct level they have to get to. You don't have to see people crying in the streets and saying, now, finally, we've capitulated. But I do think that um, you, it's not, you shouldn't be surprised that this just has a long, uh, long afterlife of, uh, of this reckoning. Now, uh, the overall market, I would argue you're starting to see heavier outflows. In, from equity funds. You've seen the last couple of weeks, there is a little bit of a give up going on. As the stock market, the S&P 500, has really bumped around this down 20% level. Uh, that's where we are right now. That's where we've been for a little while. Uh, the seasonal rally has really not shown up in any, in any observable way, to say the least. Mm -hmm. And so you've just kind of suffered with it. And you're also down a similar amount if you have the diversified stock bond portfolio. Not quite as much, but you're barely outperforming if you own 40% bonds coming into this year. That's something that maybe changes into next year. Bonds create a little bit of a cushion. They've already kind of had their losses. Uh, and I actually believe that's one reason that equity outflows were not heavier going into the end of the year, because people hated bonds more than they feared the stocks that they held. And, and because uh, stocks and bonds were going down together, it looked like the exposures to equities were staying high, even though people weren't affirmatively deciding to keep them high. They were just losing on both sides. If I said to you, well, okay, Mike, what's the catalyst to buy stocks yeah. right here? Probably have a hard time coming up with, uh, with an answer. And that therein lies why seasonality has not been enough yeah. to carry you over the goal line for a Santa Claus rally, because you're barely inching towards the end of the year, barely able to hold on to a gain. There's still too much noise out there. Yeah, the, the identifiable catalysts are only contextual, which is when you've been down 20 percent historically, right. it's typically not the worst time to, to, to say, OK, maybe we're closer to a low than to a high. Right. I mean, that doesn't say much. We're down a thousand points in the S&P. If you go down 900 points from here, it's going to hurt a lot. It's going to go down by 30 percent. 
that's not necessarily something uh, anybody would want to sign up for. But I do think that it's, it is all about that kind of ebb and flow type stuff, not because somehow we're going to get a bit of good news and the Fed's going to become less hawkish and that somehow magically becomes the reason stocks go up. So it is the midterm election dynamics. It is how markets behave after a big down year. Uh, They're typically know. not down, you know, in, in the following right. year, as Pisani was saying yesterday when, when he was sitting here with us, the, the times that bad years have been backed up by bad years are when yeah. you have crises that emerge. Does a, a new regime of Fed tightening meet the, the bar of a quote unquote crisis that the market has to severely correct to deal with? That's the open question. That is the open question. But I think we have a, a key unknown here, and that is quantitative tightening. Right. And that sort of gets back to the point, like how is quantitative tightening going to how is it already and how is it going to continue to affect this entire conversation, liquidity in the market and that dynamic between bonds and equities into 2023? I I, I think it's nobody, literally nobody knows exactly whether it's and honestly, it runs the gamut from it's complete noise. QE was just a placebo and a messaging instrument, and it wasn't actually doing much of anything for the supply demand to bonds. Two, it's the entire story, and that's all that the market was floating on. Now, the Fed balance sheet's down by half a trillion dollars from the peak, okay? Since that point, the market hasn't really gone down that much. It was down before it, uh, for the most part. So it's from like April, May, you're down, uh, you know, QT has, has finally started to do some, uh, have some effect on the balance sheet. So I think it's true that the general point of, Fed's tightening. They haven't seen enough restrictive, uh, you know, policy work done on the economy. They're going to keep it up until they can't, you know, until it's obvious that they're done. Um, whether it's the QT piece of it or not, it's unclear because it's also the, you know, the issuance side. How much is Treasury going to have to be uh, issuing? And by the way, people starting to love bonds right now. So it seems as if there's going to be buyers for whatever, you know, the government has to sell simply because whether it's the risk aversion or the sense that there's this novelty that we finally have some safe yield in the system that you can capture. Mm. Uh, so major averages are all trading higher right now, eight minutes uh, post bell here. Uh, that also includes the transports, which are actually having a pretty good quarter. They're, uh, they're up 12 percent this quarter and, yes, still down 17 percent on the year. But in general, that's that's better than the S&P uh, for the year. Um, one of the names, though, that is not trading higher this morning is Southwest. That's down almost 3% right now. You have some other airlines like JetBlue and Alaska trading lower in sympathy. We talked about it earlier in the hour. We've been talking about it really since the start of the week, the fact that you had all these cancellations from Southwest Airlines, all of these passengers that are stranded across the country. Close to 11,000 flights have been canceled since 30, since thir- since last Thursday. Uh, that was according to Flight Aware as of this morning. Um, but here's we've got we've got some sound from nightly news last night. Pete Buttigieg, the Secretary of uh, Depart, the Treasury Secretary of DOT, uh, talking about this. Let's have a listen. We're going to have to take a deeper look at what's going on with their scheduling systems, other issues that uh, may have contributed to this, because while we all understand that uh, you can't control the weather, uh, this this has clearly crossed the line from what's an uncontrollable weather situation to something that is the airline's direct responsibility. Okay, says the says the woman with a seven month old who's still not sleeping at night. <laughs> Secretary of Transportation Pete Buttigieg is whose soundbite we just played uh, right there. We're going to have to see how this one continues to play out, um, and it goes back to the point, Scott, that you made earlier in the show: the fact that you know, the airlines have have been hit hard 
despite the fact that we've actually had some semi-decent earnings over the last couple of quarters, and we've seen more of a return to pre-pandemic norms, dare I say, in terms of some of the travel trends. And now, of course, you've got China reopening, which I realize is a sword that could cut both ways. Look into 2023. Mike, I'm thinking about yeah. the back to the airline conversation and, and, and the investability of, of, of these names. For a while, it was like, you can't, you can't do this. And then Buffett, gave sort of the Buffett seal of approval for the first time sure. seemingly and I don't know if, if, if ever, but I can't remember back, but, but in a long time. Sure. And then he had sold his, his whole stake yeah. uh, early on in the pandemic. In the pandemic yeah. And to me, it's was sort of the, the statement of like, okay, he gave a seal of approval for a minute, literally, and then now he's out. And then what make, if I looked at a lot of the performance of these stocks, for example, this year, okay, United Airlines, for example, yes, it's had a nice three months. For the year, it's down 15 plus percent. And many of the airline stocks are in the same uh, predicament. At the same time, you can't get a seat. Yeah. You're paying them more, more money than you ever have in many of our lifetimes for a ticket yeah. on, on these planes. And if you can't make money as an investor in these stocks now, when can you? No, it's a great question. I mean, nothing has changed the fact that they're deep cyclicals, right? So they're going to be kind of on the extreme end of whenever there's a marginal change in, in activity. Um, but you can argue that they're better run than they used to be. Um, now, they had to issue a ton of new stock and raise a lot of debt during the pandemic. So balance sheet by balance sheet, it's going to differ a lot, whether you're, you know, Delta or American uh, in terms of how you're situated. So I, I don't think there's a good answer to can they be buy and hold stocks? Can you, can you just buy them and forget them? Um, Hasn't history proven that, that, that you can't? That, that it's not a great bet, no. And now Southwest, interestingly enough, was the one which over the decades in which it's been a public company has actually been the one more steady traditional growth stock. Because you've had, you know, Herb Kelleher was a, a yeah. great operator. Gary Kelly. It's a better mousetrap. Gary, Gary Kelly, who, yeah. you know, was then in that job and now a new CEO who is dealing with this current level of disruption and chaos and and everything at, at, at a horrible time to be dealing with it around the yeah. holidays. And now you got Congress uh, all over you as well. Yeah, it's not a great fix. And by the way, you're exposed to energy costs out of your control and, and, and all the and all the rest of it. So. Um, I don't know if there's a good answer to, to, to what you do with the stocks, except it explains why they trade super cheap on peak earnings when, when things are going well. Speaking of a name that's under pressure this morning, AMC, new 52-week low. It's down almost 1% right now. Uh, that's despite the tweets from CEO Adam Aaron last night uh, asking for a salary freeze in 2023. Um, Shares are down more than 75% this year. Obviously, you've had the rise of streaming. You have fewer blockbuster releases, which has affected foot traffic at, at theaters. Um, it's got 900 theaters. It's got some cash burn, got some losses here. Uh, and it looks like he's also pushing for, in these tweets, other management to also forego their salaries or their salary increases, too. This is one of those names, going back to retail, that we know has been a, a big Big focus of, of the retail investing community. I mean, when, when he takes to Twitter, it speaks to that. When you've, you know, what did he, he sold $40 million worth of stock in the not too distant future. In the past, yeah, no. In, in mean, the past. I, no, he and other executives as well. well the not I mean, too distant past. But yeah. similarly to Elon Musk, didn't he also take to Twitter and say, I'm done selling for now? Yes. Yeah, but my point is, okay, yeah. yes, you, you, you've sold $40 million worth, so, you know, you no raise. Yeah. <laughs> 
yay. I think we can say that he's maximized the hand that he was dealt in terms of getting retail to fund a business oh, the market that was failing, basically, and, and continues perhaps to, 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 to fail because there's no box office. The, the actual fundamentals of the business aren't there. He's managed to raise capital. He's trying to convert these kind of engineered preferred shares back into common. That's why the common has collapsed relative to the ape shares. A lot of, a lot of noise in, uh, in this one. And, uh, you know, it's, it remains a higher valuation than it had back before the pandemic. He, he has the movie used, business was better. Or, arguably, he has used the markets to his and his company's advantage mm -hmm. more so than I can't even think of necessarily a CEO in the in the last you know handful of years who has used the circumstances, and I'm not suggesting in any way in a bad way. He has used the hand that has been given him to. They sold a lot personally, and it, he was able to deal with the, some of the debt of the company by yeah. virtue of this. Well, was another of CEO retail. that sold about what a hundred times as much as Elon forty Musk. million dollars. <laughs> yeah. Elon Musk, exactly. Yeah, no, but, I mean, what, but, one business, but, but one business was, was severely challenged yeah. like this. The no, other exactly. one, not, not so no, much. Right. But this one, without the ability to do what Mr. Aaron was able to do, I don't know where the company would be today. Yeah. I don't know what kind of conversation we'd be having today about yeah. that. It's, a, it's definitely a case study in terms of marketing and communications and as well, and just in the way he's done this and yeah. the fact that you have seen over the last couple of years other CEOs try and come out and do similar things in terms of speaking directly to, for example, retail investors. Okay, let's get to Bob Pisani now for a look at uh, the market action we're seeing this morning. Bob. Flattish open. We had a nice little move up because we had a broad rally here. Just take a look at the sectors. We're getting a bounce uh, in some of the risk on stuff. Uh, Kathy Wood's ARC funds. Tech's doing a little bit better. Um, healthcare is doing a little bit better. Uh, on top of that, energy is the one that's lagging. But remember, that's been the big uh, mover. In terms of uh, nice movers today, remember the big lows yesterday? Tesla, new low, bouncing today. Apple, a new low yesterday. Uh, that's also bouncing a little bit today. Uh, NVIDIA, um, flattish and the open, and Amazon, just a terrible year. Uh, that's also up fractionally. Uh, you were talking about Tesla and who owns it. This is pretty obvious and pretty easy to say here. About 25% of Tesla is owned by institutions, and it's really only five or six companies that own the 25%. I could show you that in a minute. But insiders, that's almost entirely Elon Musk. He owns probably 14% and the other 1%, uh, some other uh, group of insiders. Other, and there's your retail investors. So you see the breakdown here. Um, a quarter of the institutions, 25% are institutions, and most of these are the people you know. These are the ETF guys, Vanguard, BlackRock, and State Street. They own the S&P 500 ETFs. That's the biggest holders uh, of these right here. And you can go on the next two or three companies that are own this. Uh, essentially, there's five or six companies that own a quarter of, uh, of, of Tesla that are the big institutions that have the S&P 500 funds uh, around that. Uh, elsewhere, just on the IPO front, closing out one of the worst years I have ever seen in 20 five years. Uh, I would note that Instacart, the eternal IPO, who'd been planning to go public for years now and still waiting, today has a new valuation of $10 billion. March, it had a valuation of $24 billion, And last year, it had a valuation of $39 billion. This is only good news because it potentially sets up for better prices for IPO buyers in 2023. Maybe the valuations will get a little more reasonable. See that? The Renaissance IPO, that's the lowest level at 23 since going back to the pandemic in March of 2020. It was about 21 at that time. Terrible year 
for IPOs. Finally, just on the, a very great note on the folly of market timing from my friend Nick Colas over at, at Datatrek. We know market timing is difficult. You've got to be right going in and going out. Uh, he pointed out that if you look at the five worst days of 2022, this accounts for the entire 20% down that we've seen in the S&P 500. September 13th, hot CPI. May 18th, uh, target miss. June 13th, we had a hot CPI. April 29th, Amazon miss. And May 5th, that was a post-Fed day. That's the entire 20% decline. The problem, of course, is nobody knew those days were actually going to happen. It was going to be down on those days, just like nobody knows the up days that would account for most of the gains that we have. The point being here, guys, and Mike, you know this very well, market time, you've got to be right going in and going out, and almost nobody ever gets that one right. Morgan, back to you. All right, Bob Pisani, thank you. It's interesting, the dynamic between public and private markets and the re-ratings and valuations you're starting to see. Uh, expectation, I think, from some of the private equity folks and the like, uh, is that you're going to see more of that in the private market next year. Yeah, it's a big, big, big lag. Yeah. Before we head to break, it's time for the bond report. So let's take a look at how treasuries are faring this morning. Pull those up right now. And you can see lower across the board. The 10-year right now, 3.839%. We'll be back right after this. All right, take a look at Tesla. It is the stock of the moment for sure getting a nice bump today up five and a third percent it is still suffering through its worst month its worst quarter its worst year on record 114 dollars is where tesla currently trades keep an eye on that Welcome back. It's been a tough few weeks for the chip names. The SMH down double digits since the start of the month. Our Christina Parts Nevels has more on the semiconductor sector. Hi, Christina. Hi, Morgan. So like you said, let's talk with the SMH because it's a barometer for the sector and it's tracking for its fourth straight week of losses. And honestly, it's tracking for its worst year since the great financial crisis in 2008. So what is happening to these names? The supply glut narrative is still a major theme across chips. As demand weakens for electronics and companies are cutting their capital expenditures, many chip customers still need to work through their inventory. And then that means they don't want to buy any more chips. So Micron complained of just this problem last week in their earnings report. They warned they don't expect demand to turn around until the second half of next year. But one of the... but. Right now on today, you can see the stock is one of the biggest winners on the NASDAQ 100, up 1.6%. One major move over, over the last day, though, is NVIDIA. It dropped 7% yesterday on no particular catalyst. It, if it was data center weakening, you'd expect Intel and AMD would be worse off, but that wasn't the case. And we did get some weak smartphone shipment numbers from China, down 27% in October. But NVIDIA has minimal smartphone exposure, unlike Qualcomm. So I spoke to Matt Bryce of Wedbush this morning to figure out why NVIDIA was so down. And he said customers haven't really heard anything particular about NVIDIA. But then Angelo Zeno uh, just told me right now it could be some profit taking because NVIDIA had done a little bit better since uh, coming off its lows in October. And I want to just move to one positive right now, a positive for gaming and in turn semiconductor names. And that is China's recent approval of gaming titles like Pokemon Unite from Tencent. It creates hope that maybe China's government might be moderating its stance on large tech, Morgan. We will see. Christina Parts and Avalis, thank you. Thanks. We have, <laughs> we've got a lot more squawk in the street coming up after the break. With all the major averages up modestly right now, led higher by that pop, that 5% pop in Tesla. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. 
What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.